Well, what a gift it is to be reminded of God's great faithfulness, to sing of God's faithfulness, but to also see on display, as we've already seen this morning, the faithfulness of our God. And as we step into a, a new school year, a new semester, we, we, are, we are wanting to pray together that God would continue to open our eyes to see his faithfulness. And one of the ways that we want to do that right now is we want to pray specifically over all of you who, who, are, who are serving in education, in schools, as teachers, as administrators, as school faculty. We know you have a lot on your plate. We know that this is a very busy week as school comes back in. And so we, we want to pray over you and really want to commission you out into a new school year, believing that God has you where he has you for a reason, for a purpose, and believing that there are going to be some kids and some of the next generation that is going to need to see what God is doing in your life this year. So I, I want to ask all of our teachers, all of our educators, school administrators, school faculty, would you stand up right now? We want to pray over you going into this new year. And as they stand, would you all just join me in thanking them? We're grateful for you. We are so thankful for you. Y'all stay standing. Stay standing because we want to we pray for you right now. So if you have someone around you that is standing, maybe put a, put a hand on their arm or maybe you kind of come alongside them. If they're a family member or a friend, let's surround them and let's pray over them as we commission them into a new school year. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have raised up and called out men and women who invest their lives in the next generation, who invest their lives into our children, for many into the lives of grandchildren. Father, we thank you for these teachers and these educators. We know that the job that is on their plate is a burdensome job. And we are so grateful for the way you've gifted them, the way you've equipped them, and the way you use them. And so, Father, in this new school year, I am praying for each and every individual that is standing. Would you, would you invigorate their passion in what you have called them to? Would you give them a renewed sense of purpose to the task that is before them? Lord, would you provide for them in, in what they need as they seek to lead the, the next generation? Father, would you guide them in wisdom to know what to say? say, when to say it, what not to say, when, when to listen. Father, please, in your spirit, we ask that you would fill them fresh, that they would view their school and their classroom as, as the mission field that you have called them to. And we pray, Lord, that you would use them for your glory. We are thankful for what they do. And we pray in this new season, in this new school year, that your hand of blessing would be all over him. Thank you for this time, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Again, teachers, educators, we are so thankful for you. We will continue to be praying for you in the weeks and months ahead.
We're going to be in Psalm chapter 127 this morning. We're finishing a short little series that we've been in this summer in the Psalms, looking at several of the Psalms and and seeing what they reveal to us about who God is and what he has done. Today we're in Psalm 127, so grab your Bible and join me in Psalm 127. This is a, a Psalm of Solomon which actually is a little unique in the book of Psalms. Of the 150 Psalms that we have in the Holy Scripture, just two of them were written by King Solomon. Psalm 127 is one of those. It's a psalm that that points to wisdom. It's a a psalm that points to purpose. It's It's a psalm that points to the next generation. And it's a psalm that challenges me every time I read it. I believe that the Lord is going to use it in your life to challenge you as well today. Let's, let's stand together now and let's read Psalm 127. This is our custom here at Shades. At the reading of God's word, we stand. I know you were just standing to, to sing and to lift your voices, but we stand at the beginning of a sermon for this purpose. We need to be reminded that the word of God is the foundation for the people of God. The word of God is the foundation on which the church of Jesus Christ stands. And it's the word of God that that lays before us what God says. What God says is right, good, and true. And in the, the, the culture that we're living, in the circumstances we're encountering, we need to hear what God says. We need to, to, to listen to the word of, of the Lord. And so we stand so that our attention can be focused on God's word, but also so that we can be reminded of the foundation under our feet. This is Psalm 127. It says this, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. This is the word of the Lord. May the word of the Lord speak into our lives today. You may be seated. As we consider this Psalm of Solomon, I wanna take us back to a moment in American history 1787, the summer, in fact, of 1787, the year that the Constitution of this nation was signed. And in the summer of 1787, the Continental Congress had gathered in Philadelphia to discuss what would be in the Constitution, what would establish the the, the governing rule and authority of this land. There was much debate, there was much discussion, much dialogue around around what the the, the government of this nation would be all about and what it would be built upon. And in that summer, as the Continental Congress had gathered in Philadelphia, 
At one point in a meeting in June, Benjamin Franklin stood up to deliver a speech to the Continental Congress, and I'm going to read to you a portion of that speech. Again, this is American history. This is, this is part of our, our nation's story. Listen to what Benjamin Franklin said in a portion of that speech. He said, in the beginning of the contest with Britain, when we were, in, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayers in this room for the divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard. And they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of superintending providence. To that providence, we owe this opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And have we now forgotten this powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? I have lived for a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proof I see of this truth that God governs the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it possible that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. And I also believe without his concurring aid, we shall proceed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. I therefore beg to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessing on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed in business and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate that service, 1787. Now, Benjamin Franklin had a, a very interesting story. He had a very interesting theology. In fact, history would show us that Franklin would not call himself a Christian. He was more of a deist. He believed in a spiritual power. He had, he had a kind of confusing theology, but Franklin was surrounded by men of God. And he had seen the power of prayer. And he said, the power of prayer is undeniable. And if we as a nation are going to move forward and have the blessing of God on this nation, we must go before the Lord. We must pray. We must be a praying people. For if the Lord is going to build the house, we must seek him or we labor in vain. It's fascinating to me in all the changes in our culture, with all that could be said about our government today, that every time the House of Representatives gathers together in assembly, and every time the Senate gathers together in assembly in this nation, that gathering begins with a prayer. It can be traced all the way back to a speech in 1787. And say what you might about all that's going on in our culture and in our nation, there is no question that God has blessed this nation. And we would be foolish to say the blessing of God on this country is not connected to a group of people crying out to God. For unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. I just wonder how that hits you personally. 
As you think about your circumstance, as you think about your household, as you think about your family, as you think about your effort, your work, your striving at the things that you are doing, what does this psalm say to you personally? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, now here Solomon is really tapping into something that he knows of the human heart. Solomon was called the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon had everything that the world has to offer at his fingertips. And he says in the book of Ecclesiastes, all of these things of the world, they're just vanity. They're fading away. They're fleeting. They're passing. He knows a lot because he's had a lot about vain pursuits. And he knows that the heart of man longs to live a life of purpose. Wired inside of you, wired inside of me, wired inside of each and every one of us is a desire to live a life of purpose and significance. No one wants to waste their life. There's not a person who stands up at, in elementary school on the first day of school when the teacher says, what do you want to do with your life? That would raise their hand and say, I want to waste my life. No one wants that. We have dreams, we have goals, we have aspirations. Why? Because we want to live a life of significance. We want to live a life of purpose. We want to know that the things that we have done have mattered for some reason. And Solomon taps into that. He says, no one wants to live a life in vain. But let me go ahead and say that many are building a house in vain. Many are laboring in vain. Many are, are doing things, devoting their life to things, striving for things, that it's really all vanity. It's all going to fade away. It's not going to last beyond this life. My, my pastor in seminary, when Megan and I lived in Fort Worth, Texas, he used to say, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. You don't take it with you. And yet so much of our striving, so much of our effort, so much of our toil is for things that are fading away. Is your labor in vain? Is your striving in vain? Or is there a, a purpose that is greater than the things of this world that will not last? Is there a purpose and a significance that is greater than, than the things of this world that will fade away? Solomon wants us to understand we are created with a purpose. We are created with a purpose. And if we are going to live a life of significance and meaning, a life that is not lived in vain, we must understand what that purpose is. It's one of the most important questions anyone could ever answer. What is the purpose of my life? What is the purpose of your life? Can you answer that question? I want to turn our attention real quickly to the New Testament, to the book of 1 Corinthians. 
a letter written by the Apostle Paul, divinely inspired by the Spirit of God to send this letter to one of the early churches in Corinth. And, And in this letter, we see this incredible statement about purpose. The purpose of of your life, the purpose of my life. What is the purpose of your life? We'll read this from 1 Corinthians 10, and then we'll go back to Psalm 127. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let me read this again. You want to know what your purpose is? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is the purpose of your life. And then Paul goes on to write, give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. This statement here in 1 Corinthians 10, it's showing you why you were created. It's showing me the purpose of which I was created. The purpose of my life, the purpose of your life, regardless, please hear this, regardless of of what you currently believe about faith or religion, even if you're here today and you say, I'm not a Christian, I'm just here because someone invited me or I'm just here because they told me I couldn't have lunch unless I came. I mean, if that's you, please hear this. The purpose for every single person on earth is to live for the glory of God. But many are living in vain. Many have not realized that purpose, which is why the apostle Paul goes on to say, after he tells us your purpose, you were created to live for the glory of God. He goes on to say, I strive in all that I do to do whatever I can everywhere I go to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Now, what is this all about? This, this, This statement can create a little bit of confusion. I want you to know the apostle Paul was by no means a people pleaser. In fact, the Apostle Paul, even at times, he he gets a little sarcastic. He gets a little pointed at times. He's really not concerned what people think about him. So he's not saying, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live a miserable life trying to do everything I can to please everyone. That's not what this is. Paul is saying, no, no, I have found, please hear this, I have found that the greatest joy in life is living for the purpose to which I was created. The greatest joy in life is living for the glory of God. That's what Paul is saying. And I want to do everything I can to ensure that everyone I come in contact, if at all possible, through my life, they would see that the greatest joy, the greatest pleasure that I have found in this life is to live my purpose, to live for the glory of God. And I want to invite others to do the same. Because there is no greater joy than this, to live your purpose of living for the glory of God. That's why you were created. And when you realize that and you grab a hold of that and you devote your life to living for the glory of God, regardless of what it is that you might have, have been equipped to do or, or trained to do or what gifts you have and, and whatever it is that you're giving your life to, regardless of what category it may be that, that you're devoting your life to in work or in labor, if you are living for the glory of God, there's no greater joy than this. 
There's no greater purpose than this. There's no greater significance than this. Students, you need to hear this. There's a lot of different voices fighting for your attention, telling you what to devote your life to, what to strive for, what to accomplish, what to achieve. All those things can be good things. But if you are not devoting your life to living for the glory of God in whatever you do, you will be lacking purpose. You will be frustrated. You will be looking for meaning. You will be continually searching our purpose according to the word of God given to us by God himself is that we were created to live for the glory of God. I love the way the Westminster Catechism says this. The first question that the Westminster Catechism poses is to what was man created for? And the answer is simply this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is why you and I were created. It is in this reality that you will live a life of significance. It is in this reality that you will live a life of purpose. Live for the glory of God in all that you do. That's why we hold up a mission statement here at Shades that says we want to be a people who are leveraging who we are and what we've been given for the sake of the gospel wherever we are and wherever God takes us. That's our mission as a church, to leverage who we are and what we've been given for the sake of the gospel wherever we are and wherever God takes us. We want to live for the glory of God wherever we are, whatever we're doing, wherever we go, to be a people that recognize and understand the purpose for which we were created and live for the glory of God. There is no greater joy than this. There is no greater purpose than this. Are you living your purpose? Or are you living in vain? We go back to Psalm 127, verse 2. Solomon gives us some further insight to those who labor in vain. He says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. It's just amazing to me how relevant this verse continues to be in our culture today. We are a culture that is stressed out to the max. I mean, everything you read right now says that we are in the midst of a mental health crisis that really is unprecedented. Stress, anxiety, depression, very, very real things that are overwhelming so many. I've wrestled with this at certain times of my life. And here's, here's what I can tell you when I'm wrestling with anxiety, when I've found myself in seasons of depression, this is so fascinating. No matter how exhausted that makes me feel, I struggle to sleep. When I'm, when I'm carrying the, the weight of the world, whatever that may be in that specific time, I can lay down, I can fall asleep, but you know what's going to happen? I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night. My mind's racing. Some of you know exactly what that's like. Or even though you're completely exhausted and even though you're completely worn out and even though you know what you need is rest, you lay down and you cannot sleep because of the stress and the anxiety that you may be experiencing. It's amazing what this psalm is saying. 
Solomon is saying here with this incredible wisdom that God has created us in such a way that every single day we require sleep, we require rest so that we will be reminded of our dependency on him and so that we will be reminded of what he has done for us. You lay down every night, your body desperately needs sleep. That's a daily grace of God in your life, a common grace over your life to remind you that you are not God, to remind you that you are dependent on him, to remind you that he has done for you what you can never do for yourself. He has given you what he alone can provide. I love the way Pastor John Piper writes of this. He says, have you ever wondered why God made us in such a way that we have to sleep away a third of our lives? Better have a good mattress. A third of your life is sleep. God could have designed a human being that was always fresh and rested and needed no sleep. Why did he decree that sleep be part of the human experience? He wanted to give a universal reminder to the human race that we are but children and ought to own up to it. We are so frail that we have to become helpless and unconscious and blind and weak every day in order to live at all. Sleep is a terribly humbling experience. Every single day, in the grace of God, he has given you and me a reminder of how much we need him. Every single day, in the grace of God, he has given you and me a reminder that we are not machines, we are humans, we need rest, we are not God, we need God. And when God gives us that rest, it is a gift. It is evidence of his grace. And it points us to a spiritual need that we all have for a soul that is at rest. I, I love the way Jesus talks about this. Jesus is communicating what he is offering to you and to me. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. Some of you need to memorize these verses specifically. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Does that not sound amazing? Right now, some of you, I know you're carrying the weight of the world. You got more questions than could possibly have answers. You've got more stress than you can possibly know what to do with. You've got more concern than you know how to navigate. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Every soul craves rest. Is your soul at rest? I'm not asking you how you slept last night. I'm asking you, is your soul at rest? Or is your striving in vain? As we go back to Psalm 127, 
we see that Solomon then turns our attention to the next generation. This really is a psalm for the family, but it also is a psalm for the family of God, for the people of God. You know, the church is called a family, the family of God. And here Solomon is providing us instruction as we think about all of our striving and what we're working for and living out our purpose. Solomon reminds us of how important it is in the midst of all our striving that we not only pursue the next generation, but we intentionally seek to raise up the next generation so that they can live out the purpose for which they were created. This is part of what God does through the family of God seeking to follow him in faith. Look at verses three and four. Psalm 127, it says, Behold, children are a heritage for the Lord, from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Now, here Solomon is reminding us of what every follower of Jesus should unequivocally understand. That is the sanctity of human life. The gift of life that every follower of Christ should be an advocate for. That every follower of Christ should be passionate about believing every life has been made in the image of God. Every life has been created by God from womb to tomb. It is all for the glory of God. Every follower of Christ should understand this. Here the word of God is reminding us what a blessing children are. What a blessing it is. To have the gift of a child in a home, what a blessing it is to have the gift of children in the family of God. And then Solomon says, there's a certain way you should view those children. There's a certain way you should view the next generation. This, This is certainly true for those who are grandparents or parents thinking about your own family, but it's also true of the church, the family of God. How should we view the next generation? He he says it here in verse four. That we should see the next generation as if they are arrows in the quiver of a warrior. Arrows in the quiver of a warrior, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. What does an arrow do for a warrior? Well, an arrow is something that is drawn back in a bow. I love to bow hunt. I love this psalm. It's so great. God's an advocate for bow hunting, just in case you're wondering. I'm really just saying that so that my wife will understand as we get into the fall why I'm going to the woods so often. It was a joke. We talk about things, not just on Sunday morning. I'm kidding. An arrow is drawn back in a bow. Why? So that it can be sent out at a desired target. An arrow is drawn back in a a bow so that it can be shot out at a specific intentional Target. And it is an amazing thing to see, especially with all the modern technology uh, around modern compound bows, the speed, the force of which an arrow can be shot out at a specific target. Why would Solomon say, well, that's, that's what 
the next generation is supposed to be like. That's the way we're supposed to view the next generation. That's the way we're supposed to view children that are a blessing of the Lord. Why? Because Solomon is reminding the people of God that part of our responsibility in what has been entrusted to us is that we are to raise up, equip, and empower the next generation to be shot out on mission, to be sent out. The goal of parenting, the goal of, uh, of a family of God should not be, let's keep our kids away from what's going on out there. And we got to walk in wisdom. We've got a lot of decisions to make. We need to pray like crazy that God would show us how to raise up our children and raise up the next generation. But the goal for the next generation uh, entrusted to our care is that we equip them and prepare them to go out into the world living their purpose that is living for the glory of God. Every church should be about this, but some are not. Every family should be about this, but some are not. And so Solomon makes this very interesting statement as he's showing us the goal of, of, of what we are to strive for as it relates to the next generation, to prepare, equip, and then send them out on mission, he makes this very interesting statement in verse 5. He said, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. It's good to have kids, Solomon is saying. But it's also good for the people of God, the family of God, to have many kids around to strive to connect with as many of the next generation as possible. It's good to have a full quiver. Why does he say that? Look at this. This is a warning. It's a warning as it relates to how we view the next generation. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. What does this mean? Well, if a warrior is sent to the front lines of a battle and sees the enemy coming towards the gate or coming towards the front line of the battle and the warrior has shown up only holding a bow but has no arrows in his quiver, do you think people are going to be like, oh, that warrior, boy, he's great. Boy, that, that empty bow with no arrows, that's so intimidating. Oh, that empty bow with no arrows, that's so effective in the battle. No, everyone would look at that warrior and say, what a fool, put down your bow. You have nothing to send out. And Solomon is saying here, that those who have been entrusted with the gift of children, those who have been entrusted with the gift of the next generation, be this a family or be this the family of God, must be so specific and intentional to equip, empower, to train up, to disciple, to send out the next generation so that the mission does not stop with us. For the way uh, a church is put to shame, uh, the family of God is put to shame, is if someday the mission of God stops with us. 
And we look around and we go, oh, well, there's none of the next generation here and there's none of the next generation around. And so we actually have no arrows in the quiver and the enemy is standing at the gate and there's really nothing that can happen through us, beyond us. It's all going to stop with us right here. Solomon is saying, don't, don't let that be your story. Intentionally position your life to pour into the next generation, intentionally live out the purpose that God has given you so that you can equip and empower the next generation to do the same so that the quiver will be full. Because let's face it, the reality is there is a spiritual battle. A spiritual battle for every generation and in every generation, the enemy of God is striving to do all he can to entice, to deceive, to lead away, and ultimately destroy the next generation. That's his goal for your kids, for mine. That's his goal for the next generation. He wants to destroy the next generation. We certainly look around at our culture and we see this battle being fought, right? We see the battle that is being fought for the next generation every single day. Make no mistake about it. The enemy of God is passionate about the next generation. He doesn't want to send them out. He wants to take them out. And we must be reminded in this battle, the people of God, the family of God, we have been called as we seek to live for the glory of God to raise up to elevate, to lift up, to pull up the next generation so that they can see the purpose for which they were created, so that they can be arrows in the quiver ready to be sent out, so that they can live for the glory of God, so that it doesn't stop with us. Every generation needs to hear this. Every generation needs to be challenged by this. Part of the way God has created his family is that we would disciple the generation that comes behind us. What a privilege. What a gift to be involved in what God is doing in the multi-generational building of his family. And we're reminded again of the purpose to which we have been called, the purpose for which we are created. And I want to read from Psalm 145 as we think about this purpose. Then we go into the Lord's Supper and we'll try to connect the dots here as we close. Psalm 145 verses 10 through 13. This is the final text we will look at this morning as we think about the, the family of God, the people of God, and the purpose for the family of God. Psalm 145, verse 10 says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. Listen to this. And all your saints shall bless you. Here it is. Live for the glory of God. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Why? Because your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. This is what we are connected to. 
that God has raised up a generation before us, praise God, here at Shades Mountain, that poured into us. God has then equipped and empowered us to pour into the next generation, that generation after generation after generation, the glory of God would be on display through the people of God. There's no greater purpose than this. And I will tell you this morning, I try to tell you as often as I can, my personal experience, my personal testimony is that I have found in my life, there is no greater joy than living according to the purpose for which we were created. So what does that mean as it relates to the Lord's Supper? And the Lord's Supper is an invitation to remember and to evaluate. Remember what Christ has done and evaluate what you have done with what Christ has done. Remember what Christ has done and evaluate your life and see, is there anything that needs to be laid at the foot of the cross? Remember what Christ has done and evaluate, are, are you doing anything in vain or are you living for the glory of God? And hear this, remember what Christ has done and then evaluate where the grace of God needs to meet you in your story right now. Because God, does not want to put you to shame. He wants to lead you in grace. He wants to lead you to repentance, to renewal. He wants to lead you back to his goodness and his kindness towards you. So I would just ask as we enter into this time of observing the Lord's Supper, go before the Lord and ask the question, is there is there something in my life? Are there things of my life that, that are just in vain? That are, I'm just striving after all this stuff and, and it really is in vain. Lord, Lord, bring me back to what matters most. Bring me back to what I was created to do. Maybe you think about your family, a new school year, a new season, and you think about some things that have not gone the way you hoped or, or, or you think about some things that have happened in, in a way that have, that have been very painful and, and you need the grace of God right now. And you need to be reminded of the faithfulness of God one generation to the next. That he's pursuing you with his love. Maybe you're here today and all of your striving, if you're honest, has left you still feeling very empty. And you're recognizing today that you need what God alone can provide through the gift of Jesus Christ. Wherever you are, let's go before the Lord and let's remember the body and the blood of Christ was given to provide forgiveness for your sin and for mine, to provide grace and mercy where we need it every day of our life, to provide us the gift of a new life and to give us a purpose that is so much greater than anything that this world has to offer. Let's remember the cross and let's remember what Christ has done. Let me pray for us and then we'll open these stations for the Lord's Supper. Father, we love you. We are so grateful 
for the word that you lay before us. We're so thankful for the opportunity to consider what the scripture says and then to evaluate what it's saying to our lives. And as we enter now into this time of observing the Lord's Supper, Lord, I pray for those who realize they have been striving in vain. I pray that they would accept the invitation to come to Jesus, the Savior, to find rest for their soul. Lord, I pray for those who are feeling a heavy burden for their family, for the next generation. Lord, I pray that your grace and your mercy would meet them in their time of need. Father, I I pray for those who have been frustrated or cynical about the next generation. I I, I pray, Lord, that, that this would be a renewal of the opportunity and invitation to pour into the next generation. And Lord, I pray that ultimately you would use us, your people, for your glory in ways that we cannot even fathom or even consider. Lord, I pray that our lives would be in the center of the purpose for which we were created. And we would recognize that that all is built on the finished work of Jesus Christ and the gift that you have given us. Thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.